Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix. And I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. Today's interview is with Lindsay Vestal, and we break down the Kegel debate. Yeah, yeah, we know you may have heard it before, but actually, Lindsay V has an amazing and succinct way of getting to the heart of it. Yeah, I really agree. And I know that a lot of doulas and midwives that I speak to have just no idea what to tell their clients anymore. There's a lot of misinformation that is swirling around about this. There's really so much confusion out there. I also love that we covered the three functions of the pelvic floor and she squeezed in, ha ha ha, no pun intended, time for some assessments. So who is Lindsay Vestal? Lindsay Vestal is the founder of The Functional Pelvis, the first in-home pelvic health practice in New York City run by an occupational therapist. She has helped thousands of people overcome chronic pelvic health challenges like incontinence and pelvic pain. She takes a different approach from other pelvic health experts. She doesn't really take an expert approach at all. Instead, she relies on her clients to share their expertise about their own bodies so she can offer personalized support they need to regain control of their basic bodily functions. I love that you do it that way. So welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for being here. Oh, it is my absolute pleasure to be here with you, Lauren and Lindsay. Oh, it's great to have you. So it's always good to hear about our guests and how they got to where they got. So I, we would just love to start by hearing about your beginnings and how you got into this profession. So how I got into this whole world is uh, actually through my father's experience of having bladder and prostate cancer. I ex- ex- got to have firsthand experience of watching my very gregarious, outspoken father go from being a very social, socially withdrawn and very timid person. And this was all because he started going through urinary incontinence and urinary frequency mm-hmm. after the diagnosis of his prostate and bladder cancer. And I was much younger at the time, and I wasn't in any sort of therapeutic practice. I was actually a modern dancer and a writer, a technical writer. And I remember walking my dad through this process and going, you know what? There there are muscles down there, right? There are muscles down there. Why can't we rehab them? Like, let's say we rehabbed your shoulder a couple years ago, dad. And I started looking around and he was living in Arizona and I found a pelvic floor physical therapist in the town next to him and took him to his appointments and got to watch the whole process. And it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, yeah, there were muscles there and he could rehab them. So I got to see this really precious process of being there for your client in a very spiritual, physical, and emotional way that took my dad from this place of sort of 
not being himself to finding himself again and discovering that he could do it just by understanding his body better. And that was, that sort of started my whole process of wanting to get into this world. Um, and at the time I was a writer and a modern dancer and it kind of laid it the foundation for me and sparked the interest. Fast forward, I don't know, maybe 10 or so years later, and I was applying to physical therapy school because that's what I had witnessed and that's what, what I thought what, the way you could enter this world. And one day, the physical therapist that I was shadowing called in sick and the director said, you know, it's really good for you to understand multidisciplines. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you to an occupational therapist today and you're going to job shadow. And I was like, what the heck is an OT? <laughs> and come to find out, I was going to be asking this question myself and most of my clients for probably the rest of my career because not many people know about OTs. You know, it's not like a marquee on a, on a, you know, on a strip mall where you drive by and you see the, those words the way you do physical therapy. So this particular day where I was shadowing, the therapist was teaching someone uh, incorporating memory skills into uh, their session. And I remember thinking, wait a second, hold on, hold on. This is someone who can work with physical disabilities, but we're also working with the client's mind. And that's when I was like, this is where I wanna be. I already knew I wanted to work in pelvic health. And I found that by being an occupational therapist, I could more completely and with more sensitivity, really address the issues that someone going through the pelvic floor issues, uh, I could really be there for them. So fast forward, I, I withdrew my applications to physical therapy school and applied to OT school and went to NYU. That's amazing. I had no idea. I've known you for a few years because you've also gone through the Restore Your Core training. So I've never known that part of your story. And that's so amazing to hear. Do you often get people saying to you, what is the difference? What does an OT do that a PT doesn't do or vice versa? Do you get a lot of that? Absolutely. And I remember even in my two and a half year curriculum at NYU, two years into the program, we were still defining the, the, the question, what is occupational therapy? And I remember thinking, all right, this is going to be a problem <laughs> because as a profession, we weren't even really sure what we were. And, you know, I think that's a blessing and a curse for the profession because we can be very holistic and kind of do many things. But in, in that, that also carries its own burden of really trying to help other people understand your role. I mean, even the name occupational therapy is a little bit misleading. It makes you think that you're working with someone, getting them back to their job, mm -hmm. getting them back to yeah. work. And that is a part of it, but it's a very simplistic definition of it. So yeah, that question started really presenting itself when I was in graduate school and then even to this day. So, you know, my private practice, the functional pelvis, we have clients that call up and, and they're like, wait a second, I thought this was physical therapy. Explain this to me. So yeah, it, I would say it still comes up quite a bit. And I think the main distinguishing factor, because, you know, let's face it, to get into pelvic health, we, we all have to pursue that line of specialty post-graduation, right? So it's work that you do outside of your master's or doctorate degree. So I think when you define what the difference is between pelvic health, PT, and OT, what you're doing is looking at sort of that core curriculum and that mindset. And the mindset that we really come from is looking at the whole body. It's looking at a person's psychosocial parameters, looking at what motivates them, right? So we do have that physical disability background, but we're really breaking down the activities of daily living and being extremely sensitive 
to the factors outside of the physical realm that could be influencing their ability to rehab. That's so cool. And so Lindsay M, Lindsay M and I <laughs> are speaking to the, our audience is really people who work with pregnant people, whether it's a chiropractic doctor or a doula or an occupational therapist. And so as we are talking about pelvic floor health today, you know, there's so much that a lot of us that work with pregnant people are, there's so much, so much that needs to be demystified. And you just came out with a course called Kegels That Work, a workshop for women who want to who want to stop. I, the rest of it is cut off for me, actually. Oh. <laughs> it works out for women who want to stop. <laughs> no, who want to stop. What do they want to do? Guessing and start taking back control. Okay. So this is great. This is a great segue into this conversation. Lindsay M and I talk about kegels all the time. I think people think we're anti, which we are not. But um, a lot of women or a lot of people, I should say, who come to us have been told that all they need to do for the pelvic floor is kegels. So I'd love mm -hmm. to know what this, what is this, what do you talk about in this workshop? And what do you, what do you want people who work with pregnant people, what do you want them to know about their pelvic floor? This is a big, big conversation. We could be here for 17 hours. <laughs> but like the first thing maybe is, are kegels evil? Or is there a place for them? Or I think a lot of times your doula, your midwife, or whoever you go to see, you ask mm -hmm. them the question. Maybe they're not a pelvic expert and you ask them, I'm peeing my pants. What should mm -hmm. I do? And often a lot of people who come to me say, oh, my doctor, my midwife, whoever told me, just do your Kegels. Mm -hmm. Or they say, oh, don't do any Kegels. They're evil. Do a bunch of squats. Mm -hmm. So like what, what should these people be telling their client? Mm -hmm. As with most things, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Uh, but I think the biggest message that I have is that Kegels are not the end-all be-all. They are not the holy grail of the pelvic floor. And I think that they're either painted in the camp that everyone should be doing them constantly all the time, regardless of their symptoms, or like you said, Lindsay, let's avoid them altogether, right? And I think that the one-stop shop answer is, is usually to do them. And what I think that I would love for professionals listening to this call to know is that we have evolved so much in our understanding of the body and of the pelvis and of the pelvic floor since Dr. Arnold Cagle came up with this concept in the 50s, right? This male gynecologist who didn't even advocate for doing a thousand of these things a day, by the way. So even his interpretation and his, his development hasn't even, you know, it hasn't even been interpreted the correct way. So there's, this is a part of the body that is so misunderstood, right? And, and has got so much taboo associated with it. So it, it just makes sense. There's a lot of misunderstanding. But I think as professionals, we have this really amazing gift to help guide our clients to understand that it doesn't have to be that way, that it's, it's in many cases, a lot more simple, but also a lot more complex, meaning there's not this, you know, band-aid solution. And that's what I think Kegels really seem to be suggesting that they're going to do is to fix every issue down there. And so I think that helping our clients realize that 
the body, the pelvic floor is only as healthy as the body that it's in, right? The pelvis that it's in. And just addressing this one isolated part is, is not going to be a complete solution. And if someone were to say, you know, are they right for me? How do I know they're right for me? I would say that it really comes back to some of the core principles that, that I talk about in my latest workshop, which is a self-assessment, the ability for you to go, okay, if pelvic health is not a cookie cutter approach, if it's not a one size fits all, really understanding my body is the first step. And so it's a very simple self-assessment where you can figure out if we call it underactive or overactive, right? And if a muscle is overactive, adding tension or adding Kegels or adding a tightness is, is likely not going to be the right solution for you. So if you take your bicep and, and curl it, right? Like you've got a, a 20 pound dumbbell in your hand and I've got my, I'm doing it now. I've got my fist up to my shoulder and I'm stuck here all day long. Does it make sense if I grab that 20 pound dumbbell or shoot even a one pound dumbbell and just tighten, tighten, tighten. And I cannot even lower my arm down at my side. My arm is so tight. And so it's stuck in this really tight position and I'm only pulsing about an inch. Do you really think that I'm going to see any aesthetic or functional change in that part of my body by continually, continuously doing that? Yes, that's so good. And I, you know, we work with a lot of pregnant people and I always use that similar example with the pelvic floor being able to yield for childbirth mm -hmm. because a tight pelvic floor is not, I think we think tighter is stronger or tighter mm -hmm. is better and it's not stronger. It's just tighter, right? It's not functional. Yeah. I like to talk about, you know, the word strong is really misleading a lot of times, right? Because, or, or even tight, really more tight is the misleading word. Yeah. Like you said, Lindsay, because the thing is, is, is we want to, we want a pelvic floor or we want any other muscle in the body to be able to be coordinated, to be able to move through full range of motion. And if, if a muscle is either too tight, overactive or, or too relaxed, underactive, it's not going to have that coordination. It's not going to be able to contract and relax. And so the pelvic floor, in order to get our attention, regardless of which spectrum we fall into, it falls into some basic categories of, of dysfunction, right? So that could be urinary frequency, incontinence, pelvic pain, issues with bowel movements. And even regardless of the symptom we're having, the symptom alone cannot give us an indication of where our muscle is because at the end of the day, it's just not coordinated and it doesn't know any other way to get our attention. So we often go to that thing where we need to tighten more, we need to grip more, we need to squeeze our abs in because we're having a problem. But the truth is, we don't really know. And I would, I would go so far as to say, as the, I would say at least 75%, if not more, of our clientele actually has pelvic floors that are, are over tight, right? That have too much tension. Um, so anyone, anyone working with a client, I really urge them to recognize that it's not this one size fits all approach. And if they have the opportunity to see a pelvic floor therapist, to get an exam, to find out where their muscles are in preparation for childbirth and preparation for postpartum recovery, they absolutely should do it. They also can have the tools inside themselves, right? They, they can do their own self-assessment to kind of figure out where things are if they don't have the opportunity to work with a professional. And what is your go-to self-assessment? 
So I outlined four different ones because, you know, it's a, it's a part of the body that not everyone is, is going to want to, is going to want to look at, is, is going to want to touch. So in, in the workshop, I walk you through four different assessments. The first one is visual. So it's taking a mirror and it's getting, carving out some time and space where you hopefully won't be interrupted and that you're comfortable and you're grabbing a mirror and you're looking for some key things to happen. In, in your vulva because um, it's just looking at that first layer, the first layer of muscles. And so an example would be something that we talk a lot about, Lauren, uh, is which is the clitoral nod. So this ability to actually have the top part of the pelvic floor actually bow or nod when you close and lift your pelvic floor. So that's an example. And you're looking for both the ability to do that but the ability to let that go as well, right? Because we really want to assess that full spectrum. So we're looking and feeling and, and getting that proprioceptive sense, that sense of where my body is in space and what it feels like to do these things through that visual mechanism, right? So that, that's the first option. The second option is to use your finger, uh, a gloved finger, if that makes you feel more comfortable. Again, in a time and space where you can carve out a 10 minutes and I walk you through how to set yourself up so that your body is relaxed. So many muscles like your inner thighs and your glutes are connecting into your pelvic floor. So you want to make sure you're propped up and you're supported and you're relaxed so that you can really take a look at what's happening at your pelvic floor. And you're basically putting that finger right at the entrance of the vagina and you are attempting to close and lift your pelvic floor, which is kind of a simple way to define a Kegel. And then you're looking for that pelvic floor to soften and relax. Um, so you're again, assessing the full range of motion. The third option is to use a tool. So this could be a vibrator, a dilator, something else so that you're not actually using your finger. And so some clients just may, may feel more comfortable with that option. You're looking for the exact same things. And then the last option is one that a lot of yoga teachers actually can do, or even exercise professionals can do in a group environment, because this is the one that doesn't involve uh, self-touch. Uh, so the last option is where you grab a yoga strap and some yoga blocks, and you are placing your yoga strap that's been bundled up right on those bicycle seat muscles, right on the pelvic floor. And again, you're comfortable, right? You've got padding under your knees, the whole nine yards, so you're really relaxed. And you are trying to do a pelvic floor contraction and letting go. And I cue you through breath, right? Because breath is the diaphragm is part of the, the whole inner core system. So the more we could use that to our advantage, um, the better, because the core really does work in a vacuum, right? It's, it's a whole system. So walking you through the breath and just paying attention, which part of the movement do I feel the most? What's the easiest for me? You know, and, and you're giving yourself these cues and this feedback so you can determine, okay, am I overactive? Am I underactive? This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. Yeah, that's amazing. I gave a talk to a group of gynecologists, very, very large practice here in Miami uh, this week, last week, 
I don't remember which week anymore. Corona, <laughs> corona brain fog. Hashtag Corona. Yeah. And uh, they looked at me like I was an alien with three heads when I spoke mm. to them about the whole clitoral nodding. And I later got an email from one of the doctors saying, that was incredible. Mm. No one has ever taught me that. I had no idea. Excuse me. I'm now in <clears throat> Corona voice loss. But, and it was so interesting how I think there's so many things that we can do in our own bodies to assess for mm -hmm. function or dysfunction. And, and if your arm couldn't straighten all the way or couldn't bend all the way, you would notice that right away. Mm. And, yeah, and, and well, I talk to a lot of midwives and OBs just because I'm at births and I see them a lot. And they tell me they don't get a lot of training on the pelvic floor. No. They no. are experts at many things that mm -hmm. we know nothing about and have no place doing, mm -hmm. but yet they're the ones that are expected to tell people what to do. So we need, mm -hmm. and, and we need a good referral base. We need to understand when to refer. And mm -hmm. they do, I do think they need more general knowledge about just these simple things like stop telling everyone to just do Kegels. Mm -hmm. So outdated. Well, that's why I love that you did that, Lauren, because the thing is that most practitioners uh, love hearing this information. They know that there's deficits there. You know, urogynecologists are one of the only group of professionals that are given information about the pelvic floor in mm -hmm. schooling. And so, you know, they, those that are interested and really care or investor recognize this as a deficit in their, in their knowledge base. And so I love the practices that are welcoming, you know, this type of education because it just really shows their openness. Most of the very open-minded doctors recognize that they're not giving this schooling. Uh, they're not given this education. And so I love, Lauren, that you had this opportunity to go in there. And a lot of my colleagues are, have had the same opportunities in their communities. Because what that means is while they're not going to be able to take on another role and do, a self, do an assessment on their clients, they're going to understand that there's more to understand. They're going to recognize, okay, there is a practitioner out there in my community that can fill this knowledge base and help our clients understand what those next steps are. Because of course, you've spent a full nine months with this professional thinking they've got your back and they do have your back, except when this next postpartum phase happens, they're not experts on that part, right? And so I think that while they recognize that, um, the more we can kind of get into the community and share just like what a clitoral, clitoral knot is, that Kegels aren't right for everybody. I think the more uh, careful hands our, our mamas and our clients are going to be placed in because they understand there's more to it than just a Kegel, for example. Totally. And I think Absolutely. I get the question a lot from uh, my clients, our clients of, I am going to see a pelvic floor therapist for the first time this week. Mm -hmm. What, how do I know if they're good or not? People always yeah. want to know oh, that. That's good. And yeah. so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm curious what should also people, birth workers, know about if their client comes to them and says, I'm sneezing pee, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then the birth worker says, or like the midwife or doula says, Oh, well, go see a pelvic floor therapist. So, what mm -hmm. would you want them to also say? Go see a pelvic floor therapist who might, you know, how do you discern one? I, I I, I would know what I would want to do, but I'm curious what a lay person should know or what you want everybody to look for in a pelvic floor therapist. Well, I'm super curious about your answer. Uh, <laughs> but 
What I would say is that I have a, uh, actually, and I'm going to send this to you guys to put in the show notes. I actually have like a, like a nine or 10 questions that I love for clients to, to call up and ask their potential future pelvic floor therapist before they ever book an appointment, right? So what's most important to know is that just because they're a professional doesn't mean they're the right professional for you. And so there are certain questions that I think are really important for you to ask because you need to interview your therapist. This is a very personal, intimate experience, and it really needs to be the, the right match for you, right? And so we're lucky in New York City, we have quite a few pelvic floor professionals. And so we refer back and forth to each other. This could be a matter of personality fit. This could be a matter of outlook. This could be a matter of special area specialty. So I'm not a CrossFit person. There happens to be a pelvic floor therapist that is really into that. So if I've got someone that's coming into my practice, I'm often referring them out, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's important to know that it come, a lot of times it comes down to fit and that as uh, the client, you have options and you should always feel like you have the power to ask questions to make sure that fit's going to be the most appropriate for you. So I'll definitely send you guys those list of questions. But um, just off the top of my head, what I think is probably the most important is to ask, um, number one, you know, if it's a pre and postnatal person, how much experience they have working with that community, right? So, so that's an important piece of the puzzle. I would also potentially ask, you know, if they're going to be looking at lifestyle, if they're going to be looking at things like you know, everyday habits, right? Or, or is it purely going to be a three sets of 10 type scenario, right? So um, I think that the most effective way to train is to really have it be in, in the roles and habits and routines of everyday life versus isolating out, okay, I'm going to, well, I identified your hips are weak. So we're going to do a bunch of clamshells until you're really, really bored and probably going to stop doing the exercises. Um, so just really simple things um, that they can, they can begin to start planting in their seeds that this is going to be a right fit for them. That's good. I have my handful of practitioners that I refer to, and I think that there definitely are some that are using outdated information, even, yeah. you know, they're seeing clients and people are coming back to me and saying, oh, they just told me to do a hundred Kegels a day and to get a towel and wrap it around my abs and crunch 50 times. Yeah. That's what they're being told. And I think just like any profession, there's bad chiropractors, there's bad PTs, OTs, doulas, midwives, or not bad, but. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, what's, what's interesting about that. And and I understand your use of the word bad and I totally get it. I think one of the things to, to think about is like maybe 15 or so years ago, a lot of that advice was really applicable and that's Absolutely. where we were in our profession, but we've yes. evolved. And I think one of the best practitioner is one that stays up to date, right? Is following research, is a lifelong learner, is an experimental person, and is somebody that's just willing to challenge and to adapt to the client in front of them. And that's where I see a lot of stagnation is in, is, is in that. And this is a whole separate conversation, but um, uh, here in France, actually, so, so I'm currently living in Paris. And unfortunately, I see a lot of stagnation here, um, which, is, which has been a bit surprising to me, actually. Yeah, that's interesting because I heard that in France, you, they, everyone gets a pelvic therapist to see them at six weeks. Is that correct or no? <laughs> 
So that is correct, but that's even changed a little bit, unfortunately. So I think about six years ago, every woman who had a baby got a blanket referral, got, got an opportunity where automatically were said, okay, you can go in, someone's actually going to come to your home. That has changed. And now the criteria is um, only really certain types of births. So let's say like forceps delivery, okay. vacuum assist, certain degrees of tearing. Um, so that's changed and you really have to advocate for yourself. You have to ask for that referral. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's even a little bit different. Um, and, and I would say that they're a good, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, um, behind where, where, what I've seen most practitioners are in the U S. So they're doing a lot of biofeedback. They're doing a lot of ultrasound, um, a lot of, a lot of the concepts that we've sort of come up about, you know, like what you said, Lindsay, you know, wrapping a towel around and doing crunches, things like that, that we were probably doing 10 or 15 years ago. But Lauren, I'm curious if, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on sort of what you would tell people to look for when they're thinking about uh, meeting with a pelvic floor therapist. So very similar to, I think also part of it is you don't know what you don't know. If your doctor tells you, absolutely, um, go see it or your midwife or practitioner, oh, you're leaking urine, go see, or you feel like a tampon is falling out of your vagina, mm -hmm. go see a pelvic floor professional people just trust that all pelvic floor professionals are created equal. So I often get people who have been to pelvic floor therapy and it didn't work. And then they start digging in and doing their homework and they're like, oh, actually, shoot, it's not all equal. Now what? And so mm -hmm. I, I like for the client to be really well educated first as, as much as they can be, and to have a baseline understanding of what the condition is. So my daughter was diagnosed with scoliosis this year. And I ended up in that panic place that a lot of my clients get into where I need to know the end result now. I need the finish line now. Mm -hmm. I need to know how this is going to end. I need to know how I'm going to get there. I need the roadmap. Yeah. And it was so fun to watch myself in that process and to be in the dark tunnel, not knowing which way was out. It was interesting. I, I could see that interesting space. And yeah. um, But before I went digging for professionals, I learned as much as I could about mm. scoliosis and I joined Facebook groups and there were so many approaches and it was very overwhelming. But I, from having, from do, going there, I really was able to then interview professionals, understanding much more what I was looking for. So mm -hmm. I think that it's hard to interview somebody if you yourself don't know you know, that there are so many different approaches. Mm -hmm. And yes, I take a very similar approach to you of finding out what are pelvic floor therapists interested in, like the ones that you're interviewing? What is their perspective on pelvic floor dysfunction? What is their goal with treatment? Um, and what is their, do they use multi, is it a multidisciplinary, so to speak? Or is it like you said, um, three sets of 10 and you're done or just lie on the you're back with biofeedback. Mm -hmm. And I like to tell people that, you know, each therapist works differently, but finding someone who takes, like you said, who has a real interest in all of the factors that could affect mm -hmm. the pelvic floor and taking that into consideration. But I was going to ask you <laughs> about, you know, I have many clients who live in parts of the world where there is no, I mean, I had a mm -hmm. woman email me yeah. ripping out her hair the other day from Saudi Arabia. And she was like, Everything you said makes sense to me. I've watched all of your videos on self-assessment. I need somebody, but nobody here works like this. Nobody here does that. What do mm -hmm. I do? So mm -hmm. I'm curious, what, what would you say in that situation where you have birth professionals working mm -hmm. with a 
very limited supply, if any supply of good referral network. I mean, you're in Paris, I'm in Miami, Lindsay's in Minneapolis. That's not, that's, that's rare. That's rare to have most of the population doesn't live in a big city with teeming with (laughs) good professionals. So what would you do? Like what, what would you, what would you suggest in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Actually. And I think my answer is going to apply to, even if you don't, even if you have someone in your community, but you're just not jiving with them. Mm -hmm. So let's say you called them up and you asked all the questions that you suggested and some of the ones that I talked about, and you've had two or three sessions with them. And you're like, you know what? I like the way they answered the question, but I'm just not feeling this. This isn't making sense to me. This isn't connecting with me or, you know, whatever you fill in the variable, but your intuition is usually pretty spot on. So let's say it's either that scenario or your scenario, which is you just don't have access. I would say in that case, uh, you know what? (laughs) There are so many options to work virtually with people these days, Mm -hmm. right? So while it's not going to be the same as a hands-on assessment, it could be where you find someone that you really do jive with their methodology and you can set up a couple virtual sessions. And if you feel like you need the hands-on work, are there, you know, is there an osteopath in your community? Is there a Feldenkrais practitioner or an Alexander technique practitioner or some sort of somatic body worker that can help you find those blind spots? that we talk about so much in Restore Your Core, find those blind spots, be curious about them and find alternatives, find patterns that can help you kind of understand that there's more options available to your body. And I think that's what health comes down to, right? Is that ability to have many, many ways to do many different things. And so, yeah, I would say the short answer is there's always the virtual option and there's always the opportunity to to you know, even, even check out my course, which will give you some of that beginning assessment tools. So we don't have that much time left, but I would love for you to give us a, you and I have spoken in the past about the three functions of the pelvic floor, another conversation that you are amazing at discussing. So for the birth professionals who are very well-trained in you know, everything maybe besides the muscular system. Could you quickly give us a primer on those three symptoms, uh, excuse me, three functions of the pelvic floor and possibly touch upon certain symptoms that might show us that there is something astray? Love it. I love it. So another thing I'm going to send you guys is my pelvic health checklist which is something that any of the birth professionals listening can absolutely print off and or send to their clients because it breaks down in a really simple way based on category of symptom, kind of what you should or could be looking for uh, to figure out if there's something going on with your pelvic floor. Amazing. I love your your toolbox of checklists. Yes. She has so (laughs) many good ones. You also have that scar care thing we send to everyone. I just love all of your stuff. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I love putting that kind of stuff together. So you're so good at it. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Educate um, us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the three main jobs, the three main functions of the pelvic floor. So they come down to some pretty basic functions that all happen behind closed doors. And so because they happen behind closed doors, we don't really ever have a chance to figure out if we're doing them well, if we're doing them efficiently, if we're doing them the best we possibly can, because they're so darn private, right? Right. 
So the first one is elimination. So that's the body's ability to both urinate and have a bowel movement completely, right? Get it all out, but also that ability to keep it in if it's not the optimal time to go. Okay. And that again comes down to the ability to contract and release because to get it all out, those muscles have to be supple. They have to be yielding to be able to keep everything in. They've got to be able to have some ability to contract or flex. Second main job, intimacy. So being able to participate in intimacy, whatever that may look like for you, and to be able to experience orgasm, right? Which means those things are not uncomfortable and there's not pain involved. Again, the body has to be able to contract and relax. So let's just take the very limited example of penetration, right? That's obviously not all that intimacy is, but for the sake of this conversation, if we are going to participate in penetration, the pelvic floor has to be able to relax and yield in order to accommodate that penetration. And then in order to achieve robust sensation with orgasm, the body has to be able to contract and release. So that's that full range of motion thing again, that coordination with my bicep coming up to my shoulder and then, and then my arm dropping back down to my side. That's and I'm going to happen. interrupt you for one second just to say that I get emails all the time from people saying, I'm doing your program. And is it weird that I'm having better orgasms? <laughs> it's not weird. It's so and important. It's it so sad sense. to me. That mm -hmm. It's so sad that people will go through their life just being like, well, I just pee my pants because I'm a mom or sex just hurts because I whatever. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to just put up with this stuff. And so many people do. Mm -hmm. I think some people well, think also don't realize that there's the potential to have better orgasms. They might That's not exactly. have any leak pee. They sure. might not have any other symptoms, but they start working on their pelvic floor and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is better. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say because I'm not sure that people, well, first of all, who ever tells you what the three main jobs of the pelvic floor are? You know, I think most people associate it with elimination, but beyond that, it's again, just one of those conversations that aren't happening. So I think that that's so awesome that, you know, again, you're bringing to their forefront the function and the job there. Like, wow, I, I did this program to help me understand my inner core a little bit better and side note, and boy, isn't this amazing. Like I'm having so much better orgasms. So it's helping educate people about the importance of these jobs, right? The functions and, and how related everything is. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've got, we got the, the intimacy bucket covered. And then the last one is support, right? So, so it's the ability to keep the three main organs, which are inside our pelvis, the uterus, the bladder and the bowels, keep them supported. But the job is actually even bigger than that. So the pelvis is at the bottom of the spine and the head's at the top. So that means along the entire, entire spinal column, all of the organs, everything that's there from pelvis all the way up to head, the job of the pelvic floor is to keep all of that incredibly important structure supported, right? So this is where we could talk about prolapse and some of those symptoms, but you get that idea that it's it's the elimination, getting it out and, and keeping it in, it's intimacy and it's organ support. And by the way, that supportive function also needs that contraction and that release. So if you picture someone stepping off a curb and if their muscles are all really, really seized and really, really tight, you're not gonna get that reverberation. You're not gonna get mm -hmm. that sort of like bounce that has to happen for that structure to accommodate and be supported. So if we're so, so tense and so over tight, 
that pelvic floor when we step off a curb isn't going to have that buoyancy to it. So that's where that yielding that you talked about, Lindsay, with childbirth has to happen. And then that rebounding effect where the pelvic floor kind of lifts and, and is supporting everything. Again, coming back to that really important concept of coordination. Mm, that's so good. The example that I always think of is like a big tree that's swaying in the wind. It needs a little bit of give in order to, mm-hmm. you know, do its function, stay where it is, you know, not snap. So yeah, that's amazing. I love it. So good. And yeah, I think that again, so many of us have been trained to think that the pelvic floor should just be in a state of contract, like it should just know how to contract mm-hmm. and that contraction is support. But actually every time you inhale and a variety of other things that you can do with your body, your pelvic floor needs to yield under load. to manage that. And it's just this idea that it's, again, we look at our bodies in this very one-dimensional way. And Mm -hmm. when we can start to think of our bodies as very three-dimensional and very, like that things can also yield under load, that it's it's not just Mm -hmm. like tighten or release. There's these other Mm -hmm. phases and types of support. Yeah. There's other types of support that our body gives us in our pelvic floor doesn't just tighten, like all those functions that you just mentioned, like you said, that's not all about the tight phase. Like not all of that is happening under under tightness. It's all happening Mm -hmm. uh, under both like the, the, the ability to contract, the ability to release under load and the ability to just release. Yeah. I'm sorry, Lindsay, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I think it's, we a lot of times talk about it for postpartum because that's where a lot of the symptoms are happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm so, I, I get so frustrated when we're not talking about it with our prenatal clients because mm-hmm. I've seen so many times people who, let's say they have so much tension in their pelvic floor, which as you said, most people do, like the higher percentage have too much tension versus not enough. And mm-hmm. And then we get to that pushing phase and there's no yield. There's mm-hmm. no yield. And I really don't think that anyone wants to push for five hours. And I've seen it. I've seen people literally push for five, six hours to get their baby out. And that's so mm-hmm. hard on our pelvic floor, but it's also not, it's just not fun. And if we can get a pelvic floor to be responsive versus mm-hmm. saying, just do your hundred Kegels a day we're going to set our clients up for so much better success down the line. Yeah, I agree so much with that. I want to just plant one other seed uh, for the professionals listening to this, which is a lot of times the pelvic floor isn't really the the driver of Mm -hmm. some of the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. issues, but it's really the symptom, right? It's, it's, It's trying to let you know, get your attention. And so, you know, I love that we've talked about the pelvic floor in such a a full, a full body approach. And that's exactly what Restore Your Core does. However, I also want to plant the seed that, you know, the nervous system has such an incredibly big impact on, on all of our systems, but I really see it with the pelvic floor. And if, if you have a client that is, is really, really stressed, and let's say it's a prenatal client who is nervous system is just really ramped up. There's a lot of anxiety for whatever reason, job related, birth related, you know, relationship related, and, or you have a postpartum person who, you know, is having a hard time potentially with postpartum depression, has a toddler that they're taking care of there. And you really get a sense that there's a lot more going on in this person's life. I think it's also 
an important thing to remember there's simpler things they can do if a pelvic floor therapist isn't within reach, right? So there's so many mind-centering practices that are available now, you know, in, in the coronavirus yeah. era that we're in now. It's something I'm really focusing on, you know, just the ability to, to do meditation, right? And find a meditation that's right for you because not all of them are, right? To find a yoga press, something that really resonates with the client that can help that nervous system really take a step back because many, many times the pelvic floor is just responding to that really intensified nervous system, right? That limbic system that's just really an overdrive. Mm -hmm. And so if we can kind of start with that, already that's going to affect the mental health and wellness of the client, which may have a reverberation to the pelvic floor being able to respond in kind. So just another seed I, I wanted to plant. Huge. An so amazing huge. seed. It's a really, really important seed. And it goes back to that idea that our pelvic floor does not exist within a vacuum. Mm -hmm. And it is a part of the entire being. And stress yeah. has an impact. Tell us, yep. tell us where we can find you. Plug your, uh, plug your socials and tell our, our listeners how they can hang out with you more. Yeah, so I've got, you know, I'm on Instagram, I'm on uh, Facebook with the functional pelvis handle. Um, the things that I'd love to mention that maybe aren't so easy to find are that I have a weekly newsletter called the Hump Day Hustle, which and is I meant- <laughs> Oh, I'll have to sign up. I don't think I'm it's on it. It's so good. It's meant for clients, um, although I have a lot of professionals on it. Um, but my main intention for that was really to speak directly to the clients. But then I also have a professional newsletter that people can sign up for. Uh, the intention was because I also offer online courses for other occupational therapists who want to pursue pelvic health. Um, I had a lot of challenge getting into the field myself. And so my, my mission is to really make it a lot easier because OTs are just such a great fit for this profession. Um, and so that's a professional newsletter. And when you go to my website, you may see that really geared towards OTs. But if there's anyone listening to this podcast, you are also I feel you're going to get some really valuable information on those tips as well. So go to my website, Humpty Hustles for the public. And then I have a professional newsletter um, that I send out a lot of really juicy, juicy information. And tell us your website one more time. So it's uh, functionalpelvis.com. Awesome. Amazing. It's been such a joy speaking with you. Thank you. You have such a clear concise educational way of presenting information that can be so hard to hard to sort through so thank you well thank yes, you thank i feel you. the same way about both of you guys so i i value our time together so much thank you all for listening to the one strong mama podcast for birth professionals if you haven't already please leave us a rating and a review we really do appreciate all of the support if you are a birth worker with an inspiring client or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at onestrongmamaprenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy. And definitely join in on the discussion in the One Strong Mama Facebook community group. See you here next time. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.